I always mm-hmm. have the analogy of an Ikea desk, right? We all go out and buy the desk and then you've got to put it together. And me personally, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that uh, have the same mindset. I just want to get it put together as quickly as possible so that I can set it up and set my beer on it next to my chair and, and watch a football game. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Blake Douglas, Director of Construction Services at Applied Software. Blake seeks to champion technology innovation to help bring projects to completion on time and under budget while driving real business results for construction teams. Welcome to the show, Blake. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, let's start with how you got into the construction industry. Yeah, so right out of college, I was a mechanical engineer by trade. So didn't really know what I wanted to do with that. Could have gone a number of different directions. It's pretty diverse workforce with a mechanical engineering degree and ultimately landed on a project management slash business development role for a mechanical subcontractor, a really well-known one by the name of Johnson Controls. And didn't really know what I was getting into. Uh, Started working in the bid and spec space, then moved into owner direct uh, contract work in the controls area. So controls, for those that are in the know in MEP, that's kind of the dark arts, as they call it. you work a little bit of, of magic to make everything uh, function and run properly together. Nice. And I actually worked on one of the largest projects uh, to date in the VA hospital out there in Denver, Colorado, through a number of different change orders and, and government contracts. Ended up being total, I believe, a $1.3 billion project. Really uh, exciting to ones. cut my teeth there <laughs> and, and learned a lot uh, during that entire process. So, really exciting stuff there. And then since transitioned into the oil and gas space where I worked in the field on uh, drill sites in uh, both drilling as well as uh, hydraulic fracturing. And again, just more uh, diverse experience there, but uh, similar to construction where they tend to be uh, laggards in technology. They tend to do things uh, the way they've been doing them for a a long time until uh, the market falls out and they've got to find another way to to do what they were doing before with with less resources. Mm -hmm. So learned a lot in that process as well and then uh, made my way into the construction technology space. Uh, Really, my, my aim there was to help people solve the same problems that I was seeing on a regular basis. Nice. So what trends have you been noticing in construction over the last few years? Yeah, I think we can break it down into maybe three different types of trends. Uh We've got trends that have been happening and are continuing to see expanded usage in uh, the job site in the field. We've got ones that are newer and are kind of waiting to see their proof point, uh, what their value ultimately is going to be. And then there's entirely brand new ones, right. Mm -hmm. That are bleeding edge. Uh, No one's really adopted them yet because there's a little bit of risk in, in taking on that adoption. So they want to see it 
fully proved out uh, really mm-hmm. before they they jump in with with both feet. Sure. So I think uh, if, if we start talking about the the first group, I think that really lends itself towards uh, modular and prefabrication. It's mm-hmm. been a trend for gosh, ten plus years or so. Uh, you see it in the fact that yeah, we don't have as much skilled laborers as we used to, a, a big decline there. So we've got to bring things like uh, pipe fitting and welding in-house because we can't have that welder on six different job sites at the same time. But if he's in a prefab facility, he can go and technically work on six different jobs at the same time, mm-hmm. um, jumping from one to another as things get set up. So. I think uh, that one you'll continue to see more expansion, especially in uh, modular. You're starting to see it in uh, a lot of the repetitive buildings, hospitals, uh, hotels. Uh, It's really taking off in in that space. Then if we move into that second group of trends that were starting to come up and people are starting to see value, but, but really don't know how they're going to use it. Uh, I think drones is somewhat in that space. Uh, Mm. They're utilizing them pretty regularly and getting a lot of really good data. But how can we expand that usage of drones on job sites? I think that's a continued question. Can we start to attach uh, different tooling to drones so that we can limit some of the the workplace safety issues with um, heights, for example? Mm -hmm. Uh, That could be really interesting and innovative as drones continue to progress, as well as the AR, VR space. I often, when when I talk to people about augmented reality or virtual reality, it's always, that's really cool, but what the heck are we going to use it for? Uh, I I don't know how we're going to implement this. And so you're starting to see the technology fit into that same mindset of, yeah, we've got AR, we've got VR now, but how do we actually go about using it? So starting to see things like um, visualization behind wall, under floor, above ceiling, that can be really impactful, especially on the service side of the business, post-completion, having to go in and make some changes. Uh, It can be really beneficial for uh, any service companies or uh, the owner and and their facilities management teams. So that's, um, again, more technology that I think will continue to adapt to ever-evolving changes and will will grow in its use cases. And then I think the most bleeding edge, um, the the tools that are getting utilized uh, or should be utilized more but aren't Mm -hmm. just yet is probably robotics. There's a lot of really interesting stuff around robotics where... You have wearables, things like a a robotic glove, for example, that can increase the lifting strength, the gripping strength of a a field worker, uh, or even full robotics to take over some of the um, more repetitive functions on the job site. I saw one the other day that was a full drywall machine. It would um, go ahead and put all the mudding in and uh, it was almost perfect. Oh, it was wow. like someone that had been doing it for a long time um, was mudding the, mudding the drywall. So uh, really interesting there, but I think it's still, there needs to be those proof points of the ROI for construction uh, with the margins being so tight. 
it tends to tends to be an industry where people are hesitant to invest a heavy amount of money mm-hmm. uh, without seeing the potential for uh, earning that back. Yeah, sure. So how have you seen COVID then this year really disrupt or impact these trends? Yeah, I think uh, one of the big things with COVID is the number of people on a site, right? And so there's two aspects that that might touch uh, the AR, VR space uh, and and photos really is seeing a huge uptick uh, during COVID so that mm-hmm. People that normally would just come to the job site, see how the project's performing and progressing, uh, check it against any of the drawings or model information, they're not coming to the job site anymore. Uh, they're letting those uh, limited number of people be the people that actually have to build the building and get, mm-hmm. their, get their job done. So starting to see a lot more of that remote job site access where someone's going to watch videos or look at photos and um, compare them to what they may have modeled or, or received from the design team. That's one of the biggest ones. Secondarily, I think that's driving a lot of the innovation around the robotics. Uh, the robotics are starting to see, okay, this is where we can help with some of the uh, skilled labor shortage, but also just people on the job site. And now we can add a lot of value there. Uh, so starting to see a lot of robotic companies start to implement some technology and solutions that they've been developing, but they're doing it at a much more rapid pace than they otherwise probably would have. Because a lot of times it's what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Do we wait for the industry to say, yeah, we need robotics, let's get them. Or do we build the robotics and try to get industry to adopt them? Uh, With COVID, the industry is now screaming, hey, we need some some solution for the lack of personnel on job sites. And I think robotics is is coming to the rescue there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So uh, do you think that that could be kind of one of the, the lasting effects of COVID for the job site? 100%. I think uh, the main thing is going to be you'll start to see robotics coming to job sites and you'll start to see more companies getting into the space and I think that'll also start to drive down some of that overhead cost associated with robotics. We see robotics now in the prefab space uh, mm-hmm. because it's easy to put a robot on a shop floor and have them do a repetitive task, almost like an assembly line, right? You mm-hmm. come down, assemble, or do whatever they need to do, and then we can send that off to the job site. But what I think one of the larger trends will be is moving those robots to the field so that they can take the place of some folks that otherwise couldn't be on the job site because of of COVID limitations. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Interesting. So uh, I want to circle back to augmented reality for a second. How how do you make that more than just kind of a, a nice to have? 
Um, well, one of the really interesting things that we have been seeing is the trend towards digital twin uh-huh. and the need for the field team to consistently update the model information uh, as it relates to what was built. Their as built are moving from a 2D environment to a 3D environment. Mm-hmm. And with that, with the augmented reality, you can potentially see uh, here's how the building was supposed to be built. Here's why we're changing it, X, Y, Z reason. And now I'm going to actually go ahead and touch this, move this, change this one aspect, obviously with the right privileges and permissions, because you don't want just anybody doing that. <laughs> but that can then round trip back to the model to say the Revit environment, where at the end of the project, rather than these handover documents that frankly, a lot of owners shove in a basement closet somewhere in their building and their facilities engineer knows where it is, but a lot of what he changes and does on a regular basis is all tribal knowledge. And so what this presents is rather than just all these binders of data and sometimes useless data, you're now getting a full digital twin of your building and that can be continually updated and adapted. So I think that'll also uh, drive a little bit of change in the facility space and how they manage buildings and Mm -hmm. uh, the type of personnel that they get to manage those rather than someone that might be from the trades and understands maybe MEP really well, because that tends to be one of the, the largest cost factors in operating a building and maintaining that uh, you may see a little bit more of a transition to someone of, of a VDC personality that uh, really understands the value of uh, having that digital twin and maintaining it so that it's accurate for uh, whatever they may encounter down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into AU a little bit more in a second, but uh, talking uh, the digital twin, it makes me think of the new Tandem product. What are kind of your your quick takes on what Autodesk is rolling out with Tandem. Yeah, in all honesty, that was probably uh, the most exciting thing for me at, that was announced at, at AU. I think that we've seen a big push for digital twin in the manufacturing space. Mm-hmm. And now seeing that come to the building space uh, to construction is really exciting. Like I said, the owners, they're biggest costs are in operating their building. Uh, As much as these uh, capital projects take to get them built, about 70% of the costs actually come from the long-term ownership of that asset. So uh, having a digital twin, a full record of what was built and how it's regularly evolving and adapting based on any necessary changes, um, the usage of the building might change, and and that can uh, maybe lend itself towards some necessary changes in the building. And I think that's really going to impact uh, the entire industry going forward. Yeah, definitely. I think it just makes so much sense on being able, there's so much data that is generated on these projects. Why would you not take that and use that to better streamline the operations of the building once it's already done and that handover happens? Exactly. And, and if you think about it, the owners, they, they pay for that data. That's yeah. in the, the contracts for the architects and subsequently any of the, uh, the engineering team. So it's paid for, the data's already there, and they've just never really 
utilized it or had a good, clean way to access it. And Digital Twin gives them that ability. Yeah, for sure. I can see owners, you know, really uh, being a, a squeaky wheel on that and rightfully so of getting all that data because it's going to save them a lot of headaches. Yeah. And I think that's one of the main reasons that you saw kind of a heavy push towards BIM standards, a, a high um, LOD in Europe was because they saw that value early on. And mm -hmm. now we're starting to see that come over to, to the States. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, since we're on AU, uh, there was a whole lot of other product announcements that, that came out for construction too, with build and quantify and BIM collaborate. Uh -huh. What are, what are kind of your, your thoughts on that and how it's going to affect the, the industry? I think the really big thing is the unified product. Autodesk obviously in the last couple of years has made a number of different acquisitions of great tools, plan grid, fantastic tool. It's a perfect solution for field users. Assemble, a great tool for utilizing that model for quantity takeoff, working place tracking, those sort of things. Uh, but as standalone tools, they more or less siloed their data to the people that use them. With Assemble, you've got the estimating teams, maybe some of the BDC department that utilized it. A uh, little bit of the field guys, but rarely. And then in PlanGrid, you'd have a lot of field usage. They try to move some of the information that they gathered in the field back to the office environment, but it really tended to be field users just trying to get their work done. I think with the unified platform now, you're going to have this expansion of who the actual users will be. And ultimately that means that different people are going to have access to the data that's that's put into the system. So that's really exciting for me. I think the other thing that's uh, going to be impactful for industry is as that new unified platform gets added to the forge environment, what does that really look like as far as different integrations that can now be built out? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times with the different APIs and the capabilities of forge, you had siloed integrations. And now this breaks down a lot of those silos where the field team can now have access to uh, maybe aspects of the ERP system and accounting software that a construction firm might use, for example, and they can see where their cost overruns are coming on this particular job, maybe work to correct them in real time rather than doing more or less a post-mortem on that project and saying, oh, we lost our shorts on this aspect of the project. Let's not do that again. Now it's, yeah. oh, we're falling behind on this actively. Let's, let's adjust on the fly. Yeah. I'm all for uh, pulling down those silos. <laughs> it causes so yeah. many problems. Uh, yeah. So we talked to Samir Merchant, that's head of product development for Autodesk Construction. And, and he really highlighted these new products, uh, ability to more fully leverage the data through the single source of truth on these construction projects. Uh, why do you think it's important for the industry to really have this kind of one standard and single source? I think the big thing is oftentimes, depending on how the tools are used, you could have the same data put into different tools and that could be interpreted differently. And now with it being inside of a unified platform, it can all be 
interpreted the same way because it's coming out the same way. It's going in the same way. It's coming out the same way. I think the other thing, too, that it presents an opportunity for is tools like uh, Power BI or um, ThoughtSpot, where the data where these pieces of data are aggregated all in one location, mm-hmm. it'll give the information to any of the stakeholders that need them. It's not going to be a report that gets generated from the system and sent out to who they think needed it when they initially set up their criteria. Now it's okay. You just have access to the database essentially, and you can bring all of that to the forefront with various dashboards and you as a user go and get the information that you think is impactful for you to make uh, smart business decisions. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so what was some other highlights coming out of, of AU for you? I think that it's interesting that Autodesk is continuing to make acquisitions in the industry uh, with Pipe, IO, and Spacemaker. You can see that they're really, really focused on owning the entire AEC space. Uh, they're ever expanding. So knowing that they're listening to their customers as well in terms of what they need, and if they aren't going to build those solutions, they're willing to uh, acquire them, bring them under the Autodesk umbrella so that we can see that merger of the technologies. Pipe will likely become a part of the Autodesk construction cloud um, with a number of different integrations there for some middle management. And with SpaceMaker, I'm guessing you'll start to see that in essentially built into tools like Revit or InfraWorks for planning, development planning. And it's what customers have been asking for. They've been asking for likely in InfraWorks for a number of years. And they said, these guys are doing it better than we probably could. Let's go uh, add them to our team. So I think that's exciting. Um, and, And I think that you can see that they're listening to their customers as well, just in the development of the products. So if it's low hanging fruit that they can quickly and easily add to say the, the BIM products, BIM 360, they're, they're doing it. And uh, they've done it pretty rapidly the last two years or so. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Evolve MEP. MEP construction software for Revit. Evolve's MEP software for Revit makes project collaboration fast, simple, and more productive, which in turn significantly reduces project risk and cost. Born from the reality of a lack of available skilled labor in the industry, Evolve MEP has transformed the MEP detailer workflow. It's time for MEP to harness the Revit platform to offer seamless collaboration like no other software before it. Visit EvolveMEP.com and let them know we sent you. Cool. Uh, so you just mentioned BIM 360. Let's kind of dive into the the legacy platform of Autodesk Construction. Yeah. I, I know you're pretty passionate about BIM 360. Uh, can you kind of unpack why and your history with BIM 360? Yeah, BIM 360 is really why I got into the space. I saw it as a solution coming from the field environment that solved a lot of those problems that I had. And I wanted to get the word out. I wanted to let Mm -hmm. people know, hey, this is something that's going to solve your problems. There was a lot of struggles in that because it was in its infancy. It was still being developed. A lot of 
uh, customer wants and needs weren't in the tool as you might expect them to be, but it came to fruition over a number of years. So uh, it really was my Fourier for getting into the uh, technology software solution space. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, so what do you see as kind of the, the timeline for mass adoption of BIM360 and these new product offerings as that single source of truth that we were talking about? Yeah, I think BIM360 has really taken off the last two years in terms of adoption. I think the general contractors are utilizing it regularly. Uh, Subcontractors are utilizing it in conjunction with the general contractors and then potentially some other tools that they may still need based on their specific workflows. Mm -hmm. But I think the direction that it's had is been breaking down those silos, right? As we move from uh, glue and Vela Systems field siloed tools moved into BIM 360 so that they were all under one umbrella. Mm-hmm. Now bringing plan grid and assemble. So those estimating teams and those field teams, again, all under the new unified umbrella. So it really is all about breaking down the different silos. I think that's a direction that they'll have to continue. I think one of the ways that they'll be able to do that is breaking down the silos for the teams uh, externally. If you've got GCs, subs, any number of the other different subcontractors from there, mm-hmm. their their data is often siloed within the tools that they thought fit best for them. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, a, a tool for a tier one sub like a mechanical contractor isn't going to be a perfect fit for a GC or vice versa. And I think BIM 360 is going to continue to evolve so that it can be that single solution so that that single source of truth for the project is the truth for everyone. Mm -hmm. Right now, you may have a source of truth for one company versus another, and and that's, that that can't be. uh, So I think we'll start to see additional functionality added in that suits everyone on the project, including the owners like in tandem. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, So when somebody's kind of starting to turn to, to BIM 360 and explore, what, what do you find some of the, the typical issues or frustrations that people have that they're, they're trying to solve? Yeah, I think it lends itself towards that functionality that might not be there and they expected it to be there. Uh, as a sub, for example, it's all about labor. It's uh-huh. your capacity, your, your labor utilization and tracking how many guys are on a job site for how long and then running that back through your, your pay applications and making sure that uh, your project is operating efficiently. And that's just something that isn't in BIM 360 today. There's a number of other solutions that have it. Autodesk has partnered with them. eSub is, is one of them. Uh, they're a great solution in that space. And I think they're going to start to bring some of that capability uh, into BIM 360. So I think that frustration is warranted, right? But it is going to hopefully be alleviated as they develop uh, the entire unified platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, any misconceptions around BIM 360 that kind of people have in the back of their heads? I think maybe that it's it's easy, 
that it's going to be, hey, let's just acquire it and it'll work on its own and we'll figure it out. I always mm-hmm. have the analogy of an Ikea desk, right? We all go out and buy the desk and then you've got to put it together. And me personally, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that uh, have the same mindset. I just want to get it put together as quickly as possible so that I can set it up and set my beer on it next to my chair and and watch a football game. But that's the wrong way to go about it. They have directions for a reason. It can be very complicated and there's a step-by-step process. I can't tell you the number of times I've put something in that uh, it looked like it went there and I tighten it down and I get to the next step and I shouldn't have tightened it down yet. I should have left it slightly loose so that I could fit this other part in there. And that tends to be very similar in BIM 360 where you make this heavy investment into the software. You saw a fantastic demo of it, likely somebody that's been using it forever. So they know exactly where everything is, how to troubleshoot anything. They've got it dialed in. It's essentially the person that built the table for Ikea Uh, showing you how to use it and then they hand it off to you and you expect that okay I can take this and do exactly what that person was doing I don't need to listen to any directions I don't need to um, really think about it the tool is built uh, for me and and it's going to be ready to go out of the box and 90% of the time that is not the case Uh, there is a lot of setup needed some upfront work in order to get it optimized for a particular uh, customer, a particular company that's going to be utilizing it. I can't tell you the number of times where we have been working with a customer. They have said it's fantastic. It's working exactly how we imagined it would. Uh, We're looking to expand its usage. Uh, Okay, why don't you show us how you're using it? And then we can talk about uh, expanding it to the different teams. And we get in there and it's a mess. You know, their, their folder structure doesn't make any sense. Permissioning things aren't set up properly. Uh, we recently were on uh, a call with a customer and they had every single user as a project admin. So meaning that no matter <laughs> nice. who they invited to the project, they had access to everything. They could remove other users. Well, what could go it wrong would with have that? been an IT person's <laughs> nightmare, right? I mean, the, there's just no security there. It was full transparency, uh, but no security. So uh, we said, look, you've got to set this up the right way so that it doesn't burn you in the end. Mm. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things is it, it does take a little bit of a, a lift to get things set up the way that you might need them. Yeah, I love that IKEA example because uh, that's one of the more maddening experiences ever. Is trying to put <laughs> together a piece of furniture from IKEA. <laughs> My goal is to like, to get to that beer before be I throw something against the wall. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's terrible. Uh, so, when implementing BIM 360, what are some of those pitfalls that people should be mindful of? I think the biggest thing is that there should be an order to things and how you go about doing them. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes people will get into the admin and go A, B, C, D, kind of right across the top. And in all reality, that's not how I would do it. I would do it based on how we need things to function within the system. Autodesk probably didn't think about setting it up when they ordered 
member directory, the company directory, the different apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, first and foremost, if you have any apps, set those up right away. I don't know why you want it, but that's the last tab. So you might not think of it. Uh, you right. may even skip over it. And so I think having a proper order and understanding of how this should function for us is really going to impact um, the order in which you you do things and setting it up. So, for example, uh, there's a member directory and there's a company directory. And if you set up your member directory first, there's technically no companies that those members can be associated with. So you really, in all reality, should set up your member directory first. Then when you add all your members, you can add them in very easily associated with companies. Otherwise, if you do it reverse, each one of those members, then you have to go in and edit each one of them to be associated with a company. And and that Fun. can just be a headache. And oftentimes it's, a lot of companies will say it's not worth us spending the time to go do that. But sure. if you set it up properly from the start, you'll see a lot of benefits in the long term when you go to do things like assigning a issue or an RFI, for example, you can mm-hmm. now assign it to an entire company and it streamlines a lot of the overall workflow and process on the job site. Yeah. Interesting. So how can your team at Applied then help kind of ease the implementation burden and set firms up for success in BIM 360? Yeah, I think the big thing is that we've done this so often that we know that order, like the back of our hand, we know Mm -hmm. that companies comes before members all the time. Uh, Plus we have that field experience. So we've used it in the field. We've implemented it in the field. We've taken basically every type of call from customers that this isn't working right or how come it doesn't do it this way. And so we know after a a lot of trial and tribulation that uh, this is the best way to do it. Yeah. Nice. Well, how do people get a hold of you and, and find out more information on the BIM services and consulting at Applied? Yeah, so you can obviously go to our website, asti.com, and submit an inquiry there, or you can reach out to, if you have a, an applied software sales rep, you can reach out to them, and, and they'll sync up with us on the services side. Awesome. So last question, Blake, what does innovation mean to you? Innovation to me really is a thought culture. And it is how people collectively can see beyond not only 10 feet, not only a thousand feet, not only 10,000 feet, but into the stratosphere, right? Mm -hmm. So that we're thinking very, very long-term and innovation is setting up the steps that you need now to get you to that ultimate goal. I think that's, that's innovation. Nice. So really kind of painting that vision of where you wanted to go. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Steve Jobs, he was an innovator, not because he created something that wasn't done before. The iPod, for example, MP3 players were out for about three years before the iPod came out. Yeah. But his innovation was, what do I want this to be in 10, 15, 20 years, which is a long cycle for consumer technology. 
And he said, I want this to be easy. I want it to be fully integrated and I want it to be a standard. And that's what he did. He put in place the steps to make it very easy, uh, make it a standard and integrate directly to uh, any of the, the iTunes users out there. So it was um, innovation takes a long-term uh, perspective to, to really implement properly. Yeah. Well, he was a master at taking you know, something that could be super techie and wonky, making it simplified and then casting the vision and getting people excited and coming along for the journey with them. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Blake. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you uh, for the invite. I always say I was a longtime listener, first-time caller. <laughs> there you go. Uh, hopefully, hopefully this isn't the last time. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely have you back for sure. Thanks, awesome. Todd. Yeah, thank you. And now for the Todd takes for this episode. First thought, make sure you are fully leveraging your data. I know, I may be starting to sound like a broken record, but it is so important to take advantage of the data and resources you have available. An example of this is Digital Twins, especially with the recent announcement of Autodesk Tandem. 70% of the cost of a building come from running the building. A digital twin allows owners to have critical information that they need and can leverage throughout the building life cycle to start reducing cost. Second thought, Having a single source of truth for all your data is also critical. Autodesk is creating the unified platform to start bridging the gap between teams, users, and the data. There are a lot of possibilities under a single source of truth to build out further integrations as well. Bottom line is you should be able to use the data you have when you want and how you want. Finally, when implementing new software, it is important to take time upfront to really plan out the implementation. Do not be afraid to consult experts to optimize things according to your needs. I loved the IKEA example as a warning call to avoid. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020. Copyright Applied Software 2020.